Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word. I'm at Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's October 20th. I'm your host, Marina Schweitze, filling in for Gabriela Sivaponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from the cost of protection for the Prime Minister of Canada to a ballet cruel production to Alberta's request to leave the Canada Pension Plan. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. The main mass killing suspect is still on the loose. Residents are keeping to their homes. Hundreds of police and FBI agents are on the lookout for Robert Card. He allegedly fatally shot 18 people at a bowling alley at a nearby bar on Wednesday. The suspect also allegedly wounded 13 others. This is the worst mass killing in the state's history, reports CTV News. On Thursday, a search took place on a property belonging to one of Card's relatives. Trucks and vans full of armed agents surrounded the home. Police were heard through a loudspeaker saying things like, you need to come outside now with nothing in your hands, your hands in the air. Richard Goddard, who lives on the same street as this resident, said, quote, this is his stomping ground. He grew up here. He knows every ledge to hide behind, every thicket. Authorities are warning residents not to approach Card. The 40-year-old has firearms instructor training and is an Army Reservist Authorities, CTV reports. The suspect's last trace was a car believed to be his, left in the town of Lisbon, with a weapon inside, as CTV reports. Chief Petty Officer Ryan Smith said Card's boat remains unaccounted for. Schools, doctor's office and grocery stores close in cities as far as 80 kilometers from the shooting scene. Portland, Maine closed all its public buildings. Canada Border Services Agency issued an armed and dangerous alert to officers stationed along the Canada-U.S. border. The Liberal bill regarding publication bans and a victim's input has received royal assent. Publication bans are sometimes put in, a pla in place for trials and court documents and prevent the media from publishing any details in the interest of a, quote, fair trial. However, the new law will now require judges to ask prosecutors if they have asked for a victim's input when looking to be granted a publication ban. It will require the victim's preferences about receiving information on their case after an offender's sentencing is entered into the record, CTV reports. It was initiated in the Senate as Bill S-12. It was passed in the House of Commons on Wednesday and received royal assent on Thursday, CTV reports. It will also broaden the scope of who is added to the sex offender's registry. Non-consensual sharing of images and extortion perpetrators could now also be added to the registry. Repeat sexual offenders and serious child sexual offenders will be added to the list automatically, while others can avoid it by showing that they do not pose a risk to the community, CTV reports. Justice Minister Arif Virani said in a statement, quote, This bill gives victims a greater voice in our criminal justice system and makes the National Sex Offender Registry more effective, end quote. He added, quote, These amendments strengthen our justice system by helping ensure victims and survivors are protected, that their rights are respected, and that their voices are heard. End quote. It is costing Canadians a lot of money to protect Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his family. A CBC News analysis revealed that this cost more than $30 million. This was the case for the previous fiscal year as well. In comparison, 
The protection for Prime Ministers John Chrétien and Paul Martin in 2003 and 2004 were only $10.4 million. CBC reports that according to the Bank of Canada's inflation calculator, $10.4 million in 2003 would now be worth $15.9 million. Sergeant Kim Chamberlain of the RCMP said, quote, Security costs can vary depending on many different factors. She added, quote, These include domestic and global threat risk, the number of people traveling, the level of activity, the number of locations attended, type and number of political obligations, as well as technological advancements, and elements dictated by economic factors such as cost of travel, accommodations, and fuel. End quote. According to CBC News, the cost to protect Trudeau in the 2019-2020 fiscal year was $23.3 million. It increased by 32.3% to a total of $30.9 million the past two fiscal years. Chamberlain added that the rise could be attributed to the increase in the Prime Minister's movements post-pandemic and an increase in salaries for RSCMP officers. The 2021-2022 fiscal year includes the 2021 federal election. A little over a year prior to it, Armed Forces Reservist Corey Hearn crashed a pickup truck loaded with firearms into the gates of Rideau Hall and proceeded to look for Trudeau, CBC reports. Though this number has gone up while Trudeau was in office, CBC reports the main increase happened during Prime Minister Stephen Harper's leadership. In his first year in office, Harper's protection cost Canadians $10.5 million. Nine years later, during his last complete year in office, the RCMP's cost to protect Harper was $23 million. The numbers provided by CBC's analysis only include the RCMP's protection cost. They do not include costs incurred by Parliament, government departments, or other Canadian security services that protect Prime Ministers and their families. Trudeau's holiday trips are also paid for by taxpayers. The Trudeau's family's Easter weekend trip to Big Sky, Montana, earlier this year, cost nearly $230,000 total. $205,000 of those paid for the RCMP officers that accompanied them. Former Deputy Commissioner of the RCMP, Pierre-Yves Bordois, said that the cost depends on a Prime Minister's lifestyle. Bordois said when it comes to Prime Minister Martin's leadership, the family had grown children and they did not engage in many outdoor activities. Bordeaux said, quote, In the case of Prime Minister Trudeau, of course, he's got a rather large family with three kids. He added, Plus, the situation is rather complicated with the polarization of the political spectrum within our country. CBC reports Bordeaux pointed to the 2021 federal election when someone threw rocks at Trudeau during a campaign stop in London, Ontario. Bordeaux said, quote, There was beefed up security around the PM because of ongoing threats. And of course, social media has a whole lot to do with that reality as well, because it fuels the fire with regards to polarization. Of course, the RCMP takes this very seriously, hence the reason why they on occasion have to increase the level of protection for the PM and his family. Bordeaux also added that the current tensions between Canada and India and Canada and China could be factors. Halloween is around the corner, and as exciting as it might be, Canadians are noticing rising prices. CBC reports they compared flyers from October 22 and October 23 from popular grocery stores like Loblaws, Cole, and Metro Inc. The flyer comparison showed an up to 17.5% inflation increase on the price of Nestle's popular 50-piece box of chocolate. Regular chocolate candy bars have also been up 
9.5% year-over-year in September, Statistics Canada reports. CBC reports Canadians should expect that a box of fun-sized chocolate bars that used to be $6.99 in 2022 would be at least $7.56 cents now. But some retailers are selling them for $8.99. In a statement sent to CBC, Loblaws explained that candy bar and chocolate bars increased due to the higher costs for ingredients such as sugar and cocoa. This caused higher production costs and therefore selling prices. The statement said, quote, We're doing everything we can to provide our customers the best possible value, including price promotions and regular pricing. End quote. CBC reports Walmart Canada told them via email that it would be on track to sell, quote, over 4,000 tons of Halloween candy this year. The company said it held its price on the Nestle 50-piece box of chocolates, quote, to make it easier for customers to welcome trick-or-treaters on a budget, end quote. Metro Inc. deferred CBC request to CEO of Food, Health and Consumer Products of Canada, Michael Graydon. Graydon said that labor shortages overly burdensome regulations and the country's, quote, highly consolidated grocery marketplace aren't often considered by Canadians as factors driving inflation. In an email to CBC, he said, quote, in the long term, Canadian food manufacturers, retailers and governments must address constraints that have for too long contributed to our uniquely high costs of doing business, end quote. Members of Parliament voted unanimously this week to have grocery store company heads return to Ottawa to explain their plans for regulating food prices. Meanwhile, Ballet Crioli is presenting its 30th anniversary show at the York University Sandra Fair and Even Facken Theatre this weekend. Gabriella spoke with Ballet Crioli's founder and artistic director, Patrick Parson, about what Ballet Crioli is. Ballet Crioli is a... Mm, I will say diverse dance company, or we will say a multicultural company, performing company with dancers and musicians and singers. We are a theater dance company within the metropolitan Toronto. Because people only see, you know, use the term ballet as a European or, or, or um, white uh, dance structure, um, that makes the difference because um, um, Bali we do is based on the diversity of cultures or the creolization of dance forms. When I came to Toronto, um, I didn't see myself I'm from Trinidad and Tobago and I didn't see my kind people or my culture on the professional stage. The only thing you will see in on the professional theater stage was Caucasian dance and classical ballet. Um, our dance form was normally seen at festivals and, um, you know, like entertainment functions during the summer. And, um, and you will only see classical ballet or modern dance um, in the theater, which is from a white, white, white or Caucasian perspective. So seeing that and coming from a dance background in my native island of Trinidad and Tobago, I wanted to see more of us on stage. So hence creating 
um, Ballet Creole or actually created a dance company that expresses our cultural differences and bring it into the theater world. Well, um, like just as the way you say ballet, you know, people, when they say ballet, they, they, they think about classical ballet. And I, 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 I will tell you, I was training classical ballet. I was training other types of ballet. And um, the other types of ballet is our folkloric ballet from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I was trained in classical Indian ballets, you know, and, uh, and, and African ballet styles. And that is just telling a story through movement. Right, uh, I've been training that um, since I um, know myself. But over the thirty-four year, years, I mean, there is a a positive um, response to what we've been doing. Um, when we first started, you know, there was a need, a full need for um, this type of um, cultural expression in the theater. So yes, I I will say I'm proud. So I don't like, I don't understand. You know that that word kind of you know it kind of bothers me. Proud, you know. Um, but I am I am pleased that we are able to um, express ourselves and and has and have a following as we move forward in this time of digital world. You know, we have we had ups and downs. We, we clear paths for for cultural dance form into the mainstream. You know, um, we are uh, I will say one of the forerunners, as people will say, of blacks in dance in Canada, and um, you know, and and we are continuing to build the trajectory of black dance in theater and um, push for re recognition of cultural arts through dance. He described the performance and its name, Naningo Calling. Naningo Calling, the word actually um, connotates a gathering, right? The Naningo word. So we are calling people together in the context of sharing cultural cultural arts. So um, Naningo Colin is is a dance theater performance, um, or some people say a dance ballet or theater ballet, which will be presented at um, the York University Theater and this coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Parson also talked about the Toronto Metropolitan University alumni on the team. Uh, what could I say? Um, they are recent graduates from from TMU. Um, it's not the first time I, I am having um, uh, dancers who graduated from TMU. At uh, this particular time, there are uh, two, two, two persons from TMU. Uh, uh, what what is important though is that um, because of the platform Bali Creole is to have dancers from TMU and likewise institute 
is a plus, you know, because because Ballycrill is a a foundation, a platform for trained dancers to express themselves. And um, the dancers that I'm working with for, from TMU, um, they are, are wonderful to work with. Um, they 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 just starting up their dance career because they they just graduated this year, this past year. So this is like um, stepping out from the institute to the professional stage, and I am proud to give them that opportunity. Apart from this, two two. Um, uh, graduate from TMU, um, one of their professors, his name is a senior. His name is a senior Andrade. He is um, he is one of the creators within this production. Within this production, we have a dance theater choreographer from TMU who will be presenting one of one of his work he uh, which is based on his cultural background from cuba called Congolai. so so apart from the students we, there, there there is another person involved in the production that is from tmu and that and that is the professor of dance and he described what he's hoping to achieve with ballet creole well the, the thing is, just like, just like how we have the National Ballet Company um, in Toronto, um, my my goal was to create a similar type of organization within the diverse cultural community um, to share cultural arts, and that has been my um, my passion since I started. So it's not just to create a dance company to to express my cultural self, but to build an institute, an organization that is a prominent um, fixture within within the Metro Toronto, Canada, uh, Ontario, Canada, that is similar to the National Ballet. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is to continue training and giving trained dancers a platform to express the the art form through dance. And the third thing is to tour internationally, just as any major um, cultural arts professional group, like the symphony, you know, like the opera company, like the National Ballet, is to do the same. That's that's my, my ambition and my goal. Finally, Alberta has been trying to leave the Canada Pension Plan for some time, but they aren't leaving without something. Premier Daniela Smith announced last month that the province would be looking to exit the plan created for Canadians' pensions. Smith's government has said that Alberta is being shortchanged billions of dollars by contributing, likely due to the mainly young population. Smith's government would look to create its own pension plan for the Albertans. Smith first started this when she released a LifeWorks government commission report. 
The report estimated that Alberta is entitled to more than half of all CPP assets and that with its own pension plan, it would be able to provide lower premiums and higher payouts. Hence, the province is seeking 53% of the fund with 15% of the CPP members. Gabriela spoke with Professor Emeritus Colleen Clark, who specializes in the CPP. She explained what the plan is and what her thoughts are on Alberta leaving. The Canada Pension Plan is a mandatory pension plan that everybody who's working in Canada over the age of 18 must make contributions and their contributions are matched by their employer, so the self-employed pay essentially double. Um, it is not a tax. It is frequently referred to as a tax, especially by Americans. They like to call it a tax, but it isn't a tax. It's a mandatory pension plan uh, in the same way, essentially, is my Ryerson pension plan or TMU pension plan was mandatory. I I wanted it. I mean, that wasn't a question, but it, but I didn't have a choice about it when I was when I was hired. Um, the, pen, the Canada pension plan. So then you can contribute for a maximum of about forty years, and the final amount that you get, the full amount they call it at age sixty-five, is around fifteen thousand dollars. It's probably a little higher this year. I'm not up on exactly how much it is, and you can take it earlier at age sixty, and then it's reduced by 36%, it's reduced by 0.6% a month times five years. And if you wait until after age 65, until age 70, it'll increase by 0.7% a month up to age uh, times five. So from $15,000 at age, I haven't calculated this lately, but I think by age, if you wait until age 70 without taking inflation into account, it's around $21,000. It's a lot more. Well, Alberta is saying um, they're, okay, it's the opposite to what's happened in Quebec. First of all, Quebec opted out from the very beginning because they wanted to invest in Quebec and they have the case de depot, whatever it's called, that does their investments for them. And they're doing quite well. But what's happened in Quebec, they've had to increase the contribution rates a bit. It's not a huge increase, but, but they've had to increase them because their population is aging. Um, I don't know if you can say this, this is politically correct to say it's essentially a Catholic province and they're used to having large families and now they're having smaller families so there's a smaller base to pay all those people who are now reaching retirement age. Alberta has the opposite situation because it's fundamentally based on what their revenues are from oil and gas, fundamentally, it's not an absolute. And so a lot of their contributors to the Canada Pension Plan are young. And because they're sort of newly emigrated to Alberta, 
then they don't have a lot that are been working long enough because they're young to catch to collect the Canada pension. So they have kind of the opposite situation. Now, what's happened with when they say they want to leave? I, th- I think Danielle Smith is up to something, but I can't figure out what. <laughs> I, ca- I just don't think it's it's a. The Canada Pension Plan is very successful at what they do. And Quebec's had to put their, their rates up because of the aging population, not because there's anything wrong with the way they, they invest the money. And the bottom, because the case of invest money for a, a bunch of different things like auto insurance in Quebec and some construction industry. So that pool of money is also very large. It makes it easier to stay on track when it's a large pool of money and you don't go off the rails. Um, the company that did the analysis that came up with a 53%, it used to be called Morneau Chappelle. Bill Morneau used to be the Minister of Finance. It is a very respectable company. So, But what we don't know is what question was put to them. One of the things that I read was that Daniel Smith seemed to be implying that anybody who contributed, who no longer lives in Alberta, isn't entitled to it, which is, which is, would, would not be very useful. I can't, I don't know the question that was put to Morneau Chappelle. That's the name of the old name of the company. So I think that's the only way they could have come up with this 53% to come up with half the assets. That's that's crazy. I forget what percentage their population is, but it's it's that their population is young and they don't have a lot of old people paying out. The population growth is recent as oil and gas has become very, very important, but recently. And again, we don't know what question was put to Warner Chappelle. They are a very reputable company, but I don't know what the question was. And the people in, in the Canada pension, the, the actuaries, the Canada pension, will be finding out what that question was one of these days. So we can know where the 53% comes from. She said she couldn't imagine any other provinces would follow suit. I can't imagine it. It's just a bad idea. I mean, it's just a bad idea. We have uh, OMERS in Ontario, the Ontario Municipal Employees Retirement System. So all municipal employees like clerks at City Hall and cops and firefighters and all of these people are part of OMERS and and OMERS is very large but it's Ontario we have a significant percentage of the population of Canada Um, and in fact I think my Ryerson pension is managed by OMERS and when I found that out I went oh isn't that good news I can relax now because they're, they're big and when you're bigger you have more expertise you have more ability to ride the ups and downs and to make, you know, take your chances on a few things. And 
not and you 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 might lose four billion dollars but the pool of money is much 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 larger and you probably wouldn't have gone into something what they i forget what they did but it was something that was kind of off the wall That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on my Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Mariana Schuetze, and this episode was put together by myself and Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.